Witches are joining together across the country to perform black magic rituals that will put a curse on Donald Trump. I am not making this up. The witches are organizing through social media to summon, quote, demons of the infernal realms to ensure the president will, quote, fail utterly. The rituals include burning a picture of Trump and visualizing the president, quote, blowing apart into dust or ash, unquote. At one midnight gathering on a lonely moonlit hill, three hideous old crones were recently seen dancing around a steaming cauldron, throwing ingredients into the brew. The chief witch, an unbearably ugly hag, was heard chanting, quote, Double trouble, our party's in rubble. We've been living in a bubble. Eye of Newt and nose of Ryan. Heart of Putin, who's been spying. McConnell's waddle, Bannon's rump, how the hell did I lose to Donald Trump? The International Association of Witches refused to release the chief witch's name, though she was heard unleashing an ear-splitting cackle before flying through the trees in her magic pantsuit. The second of the three weird sisters on leave from her day job as House Minority Leader was also heard chanting bizarre gibberish. Then, after her interview with CNN, Nancy Pelosi hurried to join the rest of her coven at the cauldron, where she added to the mix by throwing in parts of babies she had purchased at the butcher's counter at her local Planned Parenthood. At a press conference afterward, Ms. Pelosi told reporters, quote, these powerful rituals will really put a spell on President Bush, unquote. When told Bush was no longer president, Pelosi said, quote, well, whoever's president, whatever it is we're doing here, we'll stop him from doing whatever it is he's doing, or my name isn't Dolly Madison, unquote. When told that her name was not, in fact, Dolly Madison, Ms. Pelosi said, quote, well, where am I then, unquote. The third horrific battle axe was seen dancing around the cauldron chanting, quote, Chump will never win this game, for Focahontas is my name. The grisly harpy then donned an Indian headdress in the hope she would be able to parade herself as not just another Medusa-like termagant able to conjure demons out of the pits of hell, but also as a minority. She then led the rest of her party in a bizarre Indian dance in which they kept turning to the left until they ended up in exactly the same place, namely losing to Donald Trump. President Trump responded to the supernatural threats by saying he was not afraid of the witch's spells because he knew much better spells, and it was not just him saying that, but many, many people had said his spells were the best spells, believe me. After the witch's ceremony was over, the three grotesque viragos attempted to fly away on broomsticks, but discovered they had no idea how to use a broom because none of them had ever done an honest day's work in her life. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing Hunky-dunky-dee-doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy The world is zippity-zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hurrah, hooray Oh, hooray, hurrah the Andrew Clavin Show, where the Democrats supply the satire, and I just read it off the, off the teleprompter. All right, it's mailbag day, but before, yay, before, before we get to the mailbag, which comes after the break, so if you're on Facebook or YouTube, you got to come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe, so next week you, too, can have a question in the mailbag. 
First of all, we got to talk about this speech. Holy moly. I know. We got together, Jay Hay and uh, uh, Jeremy Boring, who is the god king of the Daily Wire, and Michael Knowles, who is just a lackey. I mean, we just, yeah. We, we, we got together and we sat and watched this thing. And it this is uh, obviously Trump's pseudo State of the Union address. It's not really the State of the Union. He's just addressing a joint uh, session of Congress. And we sat, we started like, this isn't bad. Wait, this is good. Holy moly, this is great. This is, And the Democrats were so taken by surprise that he delivered like this, that they were caught out looking like such small, bitter, un-American people. They don't applaud for education. They don't applaud, they don't applaud for, I mean, this, this, of course, was the major moment uh, in the first, the first soldier killed on his watch was a Navy SEAL, uh, this guy Ryan Owens, and he paid tribute to him. The, the mission was planned before took office, but then it was carried uh, carried forward in Yemen to gather some intelligence, and Trump paid tribute to him. So here's a little bit of the tribute he paid. I just spoke to our great General Mattis just now, who reconfirmed that, and I quote, Ryan was a part of a highly successful raid that generated large amounts of vital intelligence that will lead to many more victories in the future against our enemy. Ryan's legacy is etched into eternity. Thank you. And Ryan is looking down right now. You know that. And he's very happy because I think he just broke a record. (laughs) For as the Bible teaches us, there is no greater act of love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Ryan laid down his life for his friends, for his country, and for our freedom. And we will never forget Ryan. Okay, so this is two minutes of applause. This beautiful, his, Ryan's beautiful widow, Karen, is on her feet looking up to heaven saying, I love you, baby, right? The whole place is rocking with a applause honoring this man who gave his life for his country and some of the democrats are sitting on their hands i mean it's an unbelievable image of keith ellison and uh, and nancy pelosi sat down after a while he's looking bitter you know just oh it was awful it was awful and they've been sitting on their hands for american jobs they're not applauding for american jobs they're not applauding for education they're not applauding for anything because they thought that trump was going to come in and give one of his usual kind of you know uh, pugilistic uh, dark speeches and so they were so ready to sneer that they just looked terrible. He caught them. He wrong-footed them so badly. It was an amazing moment. I think, I'm sorry, but I think we have to play the Trump happiness montage. We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. We're going to win with health care and for our veterans. We're going to win with every single facet. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. You'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. I feel pretty, oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more.
this thing, you know, this was one of the most dramatic political moments I have seen actually in my life. It was so, so dramatic. And I want to explain why I think this. Trump is a master. There are two speeches here that we have to talk about. One is the political speech and the other is the substantive uh, speech. The po- political speech is a, is a masterpiece. I mean, it was one of it is it's probably the best. Let me think about this one. It's the best State of the Union, certainly in the last two administrations. Certainly, Obama never gave a good one, and uh, George W. Bush never gave a good speech ever. So, you know, I think it was the, it's certainly the best, like in the last ten years at least. And it, it, Trump is a master at changing the narrative. This is what he knows. You know, that press conference he gave where all the reporters were saying, oh, it was belligerent, it was mean, it was he made this mistake, he made that mistake. That ended this stupid and untrue Russian conspiracy thing that they were building up to. Remember, like the day before, or two days before, Chuck Todd says, welcome to day one of the biggest scandal ever. Gone. Gone. He just took it away. Now, the whole thing is this tumultuous... What the, what the mainstream media always do is they report things that may or may not be true, and then they just assume them to be true. So they say there's chaos in the White House. Well, the Trump administration says, oh, there's no chaos here. You know, we've made some mistakes. They're going forward. It's like, it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like chaos to me, but I don't know the truth. I'm not there. But then all the press does is will, will, they'll lead every story with the chaotic uh, opening month of the Trump administration, the chaos this, the chaos that, unpresidential this. Trump just took that and he blew it up. And the whole speech was constructed to do that. You know, this here's a phrase I heard maybe four times from different commentators. But I brought in this one because it's Van Jones, who is obviously far, far, far to the left. The phrase was Trump now is the president. He, Trump, Trump became the president. And Van Jones was talking about the moment where he honored the Navy SEAL. Here he is. Have you got he mentioned? became president of the United States in that moment, period. There are a lot of people who have a lot of reason to be frustrated with him, to be fearful of him, to be mad at him. But that was one of the most extraordinary moments you have ever seen in American politics, period. And he did something extraordinary. And for people who have been hoping that he would become unifying, hoping that he might find some way to become presidential, they should be happy with that moment. For people who have been hoping that maybe he would remain a divisive cartoon, which he often finds a way to do, they should begin to become a little bit worried tonight. Because that thing you just saw him do, if he finds a way to do that over and over again, he's gonna be there for eight years. Now, there is a lot that he said in that speech that was counterfactual, that was not right, that I oppose and will oppose. But he did something tonight that you cannot take away from him. See, that Van Jones was slammed for this. Uh, you know, the people were tweeting, what, he's a traitor, he's this, he's that, he's, you know, it's all wrong. But that was Van Jones, actually, and I got to give him props for this. He is so far to the left, he's fallen off the edge of the world, and I disagree with everything he says most of the time. But that was Van Jones adapting to a situation, and that's what the Democrats failed to do. They didn't see that they were being run over by a freight train, and they just laid out on the tracks. So this is this indicates, now, I'm, I'm a slow guy to take someone I don't know and attribute personality traits to him. I mean, this is something I hear people doing all the time, you know, like he's he's a narcissist, he's this, he's that. If you don't know the guy, it just takes a long time to observe things. But the one thing I've observed about Trump is that he learns stuff. 
this is what he told us he would do. He said, you know, we said, you don't know anything about being president. And he said, basically, I'll learn and I'll appoint the best people. He has appointed the best people and he does learn. You know, he was on Fox and Friends just the other day saying they asked him to grade his administration. And he said, of course, I mean, when you ask that of Donald Trump, you assume he's going to say A plus on everything. And he said A plus for everything I've done, but only a C or a C plus for the way I've communicated what I've done. And he changed that. Everybody said he's too dark. You know, his inaugural address was too dark. So he opens up the speech like this. This is not the very opening of the speech. Each American generation passes the torch of truth, liberty and justice in an unbroken chain all the way down to the present. That torch is now in our hands and we will use it to light up the world. I am here tonight to deliver a message of unity and strength, and it is a message deeply delivered from my heart. A new chapter. Of American greatness is now beginning. A new national pride is sweeping across our nation and a new surge of optimism is placing impossible dreams firmly within our grasp. What we are witnessing today is the renewal of the American spirit. Our allies will find that America is once again ready to lead. All the nations of the world, friend or foe, will find that America is strong, America is proud, and America is free. So, so you know, the Democrats, again, they're ready for one thing and they're getting another and they're sitting on their hands. You know, you're not applauding for the fact that America is free. <laughs> just kind of that. But he changed. He got it. He got he's got to put in. He's got to start with, you know, the good stuff. Also, and this is another thing about being the master of narrative. All we've heard, the Democrat talking point that was going around three days, was he hasn't accomplished anything. So he started the speech with a list of his accomplishments, all these executive orders. Still, this is him coming to Congress, asking for stuff, and he asked for the stuff that he wants. He starts to talk about the border. And this was really interesting because he he kind of has indicated that he will negotiate with the Democrats on this and do something. I, I've said from the I've been saying now for two years, basically, there's going to be some kind of amnesty. Nobody is going to have mass deportations. It just isn't going to happen. You know, and I think they can either ignore the fact that people are here illegally or give them some kind of path to citizenship. And nobody, even the people who think they want to see mass deportations really want to see them because once those come on your TV screen and once you see little children being torn out of their mother's arms, you're not going to like it so much. Nobody's going to like it. And and it's going to you know eat away at his popularity. Hey, I got to stop and say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but the mailbag is coming up. So come on over to the dailywire.com and subscribe. You know, we, are we still giving away? What are we giving away? The Arroyo? Arroyo? We're giving away the Arroyo. Come on. We'll give you a free movie. The lousy eight bucks a month. What's wrong with you? The other thing that was great in this was that the, the way he combined challenging the Democrats, like going right into their face with kind of offering something that they could maybe, you know, maybe take part in. His stuff on the border, I thought, was just great. Here, let's play the uh, number three. We must restore integrity and the rule of law at our borders. For that reason, we will soon begin the construction of a great, great wall 
along our southern border. As we speak tonight, we are removing gang members, drug dealers, and criminals that threaten our communities and prey on our very innocent citizens. Bad ones are going out as I speak, and as I've promised throughout the campaign. To any in Congress who do not believe we should enforce our laws, I would ask you this one question. What would you say to the American family that loses their jobs, their income, or their loved one because America refused to uphold its laws and defend its borders? I mean, again, brilliant narrative shift. Instead of the poor illegal who has to go back to Mexico, it's the poor families of people who have uh, experienced crime by illegal immigrants. And it's also the rule of law, which is, I think, is the thing that drives people insane. It's like, what if you have laws and the president or anybody else can just decide not to enforce them, he's a king. He's a king. The people we elect make the laws. They make the laws for us. If we don't like the laws, we can elect somebody else to make different laws. If the president or anybody else can just say, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's, uh, yeah, forget it. You know, <laughs> He's the king. So when he says the rule of law, when he talks about crime by illegals, you know, it, it's, not that, it's not that my heart doesn't go out to people who are in a difficult situation and come here and sneak over here to get away from the, the uh, hell of, that are part of Mexico. It, it's really that the rule of law matters. Change the law. Make let more people in. Whatever you want to do, but do it. And this, the fact that this has gone on now for decades is just an embarrassment. All right. And then he says Islamic terrorism, big new thing, you know, reminds everybody of Obama and what a panty waist he was. <laughs> and, and then he goes after. The, now, this is now this is where we get start to get into the substance. Now he goes after Obamacare and he talks about he, he was great on how bad, uh, you know, Obama left things. He brought up he brought up uh, Ryan um, Owens because he was talking about the fact that he wants more military spending and the fact that Obama has gutted our military, which he did, and not only gutted our military, but left the world in worse shape, so we actually need our military more. But then he goes on to talk about what he's going to do about Obamacare. This is cut eight. Remember when you were told that you could keep your doctor and keep your plan. We now know that all of those promises have been totally broken. Obamacare is collapsing, and we must act decisively to protect all Americans. Action is not a choice, it is a necessity. So I am calling on all Democrats and Republicans in Congress to work with us to save Americans from this imploding Obamacare disaster. So, I mean, this is, and he's pointing to the Democrats as he says this, this imploding Obamacare disaster. He's right in their face. He then talked about what he wanted to do, and it's basically Ryan's plan. So he's backing Ryan. It, you know, it's, he's somehow going to ensure Americans with pre-existing con conditions have access to coverage. See, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm worried that he's going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with Obamacare. You know, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm a little bit worried about. You know, I don't know how you insure people with pre-existing conditions. That is not how insurance works. Insurance is a bet that you are going to, you're betting that you're going to get sick, and the insurance company is betting that you're going to stay well, so you win either way, because if you get sick, you get paid help with your bills, but if you're well, who cares, right? You know, it's like, as long as you've got your health, who cares? But anyway, he put forward this thing. It's basically Obama's plan, allow people to purchase their own coverage, 
give governors resources uh, with Medicaid so they can probably block grants of some kind, and also allow people to buy insurance across state lines. This is a big deal because if you don't, if you have more competition, you get lower prices. So on substance, look, he's saying things that a conservative like me, you know, I have questions about. He talked about protectionism. He quoted Abraham Lincoln. I mean, I mean the world has changed a little bit since I love Abe, but you know, the world has changed a little bit since Abraham Lincoln. It is more of a global economy. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt in this in this sense. I, on this and on infrastructure, because he's talking about a trillion dollars of spending on infrastructure, there is a conservative argument to be made for infrastructure spending. We need infrastructure. Eisenhower paid for the federal roads by saying we needed it for national security. That's how he got federal money to, to buy our interstate system. And when he talks about tariffs and t protectionism, I'm hoping it's a negotiating tactic, because tariffs do stifle trade, and when trade is stifled, we all suffer. But if he's talking about making things more fair, not letting us get you know jerked around by other countries, you know that's okay. He can sit down and do this anyway. He ended on this wonderful, wonderful note where he's talked about at uh, America's hundredth birthday how all these inventors, including Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell, came out with these great inventions. And the point of this was that individuals change the world, right? Thomas Edison changes the world. Alexander Graham Bell changes the world. Barack Obama does not change the world. The government doesn't change the world. It just gets out of these people's way. And some of the stuff he was talking about, about rescinding regulations, was so inspiring. The, the other thing, I, I got to mention this for one minute, because nobody cares about this but me, but he talked about education. And this, look, well, play this. He, he talked about uh, education being our, a civil rights issue. Education is the civil rights issue of our time. I am calling upon members of both parties to pass an education bill that funds school choice for disadvantaged youth, including millions of African-American and Latino children. These families should be free to choose the public, private, charter, magnet, religious, or home school that is right for them. See, this is huge, <laughs> or as he would say, huge. It is enormous because it is what black children need. It's what all children need, but it's what especially poor and black and poor black children need to get out. And the Democrats with all their black front men and all their talk about race and all the nonsense that they talk about, they're so indebted to the corrupt teachers unions that they will not do it. And it ain't right. It ain't right that a kid in this situation where he's got everything against him, he's got no dad, he's got drugs, he's got crime, he's got nothing to get, can't get into a good school because the teachers union has to be served. And that's the Democrats. And that's why I despise them. That's, that is the, one of the major reasons why I went from the left to the right, because all that talk, all that talk, and these poor kids are left out there with nothing. And that's why they're fighting Betsy DeVos so hard. And that's why that, to me, is a thrilling moment, even though nobody noticed it but me. It was a thrilling moment. Anyway, to get back to his conclusion, he talked about all these inventors who changed things. And the point was that they're not government people. When the government tried to create a, an airplane, it couldn't do it. It took two bicycle guys from Ohio, the Wright brothers, to build an airplane. And he knows that. And that's why he's talking about taking off the kind of regulations from the FDA, 
which holds up important drugs. They test drugs that can save people's lives, saying, well, we've got to test them to make sure they're safe. And the people who would take them are dying. The people are dying. What difference does it make if they're safe? Let them test them. Let them try. It's called the right to try. This is his, his wind-up. This is the final, you know, as he's coming to the end. Think of the marvels we can achieve if we simply set free the dreams of our people. Cures to the illnesses that have always plagued us are not too much to hope. American footprints on distant worlds are not too big a dream. Millions lifted from welfare to work is not too much to expect. And streets where mothers are safe from fear, schools where children learn in peace, and jobs where Americans. When we have all of this, we will have made America greater than ever before. For all Americans, this is our vision. This is our mission. But we can only get there together. We are one people with one destiny. We all bleed the same blood. We all salute the same great American flag. And we all are made by the same God. I mean, uh, it was a great speech. It was a great speech. And he, and he did it well, and he you know, restrained himself. He's not a great speaker. He's not a great public speaker, but he did it well, stuck to the script. It really was something else. And then the Democrats, resp- here's the Democrat response. <laughs> well, all right, that was a joke, but that was actually better than the real Democrat response. I mean, you know, to, to be fair, it's always tough. The president is standing there before a joint session of Congress. He's the president. How do you go out against him? You know, the guy who responds always looks a little weak. But this was the worst. Here, here he is. I just want to show the opening because it was so funny. I'm Steve Bashir. I was governor of Kentucky from 2007 to 2015. Now I'm a private citizen. I'm here in Lexington, Kentucky, some 400 miles from Washington, at a diner with some neighbors, Democrats and Republicans, where we just watched the president's address. I'm a proud Democrat, but first and foremost, I'm a proud Republican and Democrat and mostly American. And like many of you, I am worried about the future of this nation. So I don't know if that was bad writing or, you know, I'm mostly a proud Republican. Maybe I think he was trying to say I'm everything, I'm all American or something. But the whole thing is he loses from the start because he's not the governor anymore. And he was replaced by a Republican. So it's like they can't even they can't even bring out a guy. They're so busy, like sitting on their hands while we honor our fallen uh, military heroes that they can't. They don't even have the guts to do it. You know, they took Marco Rubio to pieces for drinking water, but they're not taking the Democrats to pieces for the fact that they didn't even have the guts. Nobody in office had the guts to show up and answer Trump. An amazing, amazing day. One of the most dramatic turnarounds I've seen. I think it's going to have a big effect. Look, Trump can blow himself up tomorrow. You know, he can do something really stupid tomorrow. But if he's learning as much as he seems to be learning, he could really he could really have turned things around. It was really an amazing, amazing day. All right. The mailbag. Yeah. <laughs> 
to those of you who are startled by that, one guy complained he was startled by that and almost ran off the road. Um, so long. <laughs> All right. From Susan. Dear Clavin Sensei, how can we rein in the excesses of the dinosaur media? Is there anything we can do to incentivize fair reporting, or is there nothing worth salvaging in the first place? Well, I'm, I'm a great believer that you shouldn't rein in anybody at all. I mean, I am a, a First Amendment absolutist. You know, there's a, um, if you've ever read the novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey, the guy has a, a line where he's talking about getting in a fight, and he says, a weak man will kick you in the groin, a strong man will pick up a chair, because a weak man wants to make you weaker, but a strong man wants to make himself stronger. And that's the way I feel about both Hollywood and the news media and everything else. Let them do their thing. We got to do it, too. It makes absolutely no sense to me that you could start Fox News and be so successful, but no one has thought to, to do a conservative comedy channel. No one has thought to do a conservative, you know, entertainment channel or other conservative news. Nobody has challenged the New York Times, or as we now have learned to call it, the failing New York Times, a former newspaper, you know, with a, with a paper just saying, look, we're going to do it this way. We're going to tell the news straight, uh, or, or we're going to tell it from a conservative point of view. It's all about information, and we need, listen, listen commentary is great, especially if it's entertaining, like this show, but, but you know, we, we need information. We need guys to go out and gather information who are not Democrats with press cards, which is what CNN is, which is what ABC, NBC, and CBS are, and what the New York Times and Washington Post are, and there's just so many of them. We need to fight back. It's, we, it's, it has nothing to do with curtailing them. It has to do with beating them. You know, you got to beat them. Same thing in Hollywood. Dear Amazing Man with No Hair Clavin, why does the left, what kind of title is that? Why does the left inject politics into everything, even though it hurts their profit margins? ESPN and Marvel comic books do not look like they will change their business practices, even as they lose money from Ricardo. Uh, Marvel, by the way, has a lot of conservatives in the management. I just happen to know that. So I'm not sure that they are really to blame. They have tried, at least Iron Man had a little bit of conservatism in it, a little bit of capitalism in it. Um, but yes, they do this. Hollywood definitely loses money by being left-wing. And it's virtue signaling. Um, it, has to, it has to do with original sin, basically. All of us know we are not what we are supposed to do. All of us spend, I would pr say, about approximately 85% of our time pretending to have virtue, hoping other guys are fooled uh, when, you know, when we're not fooling ourselves. And the problem with the left is they have mistaken virtue for their politics. They think their politics give them virtue. They think it gives them virtue to vote for Hillary Clinton and makes you evil to vote for Donald Trump. We on the right tend to know that that is not where your virtue comes from. That is not at all where your virtue comes from. There are plenty of reasons why somebody of good, you know, goodwill might vote for a Democrat. There's plenty of reasons why people of goodwill vote Republican. That is not going to solve your virtue problem. But that's why they do it. They want it, they do it for love. They do it to, to parade their virtue. And it's such a powerful instinct. It's such a powerful instinct that they will cost themselves money to do it. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, but that, that's the power of original sin. If you, once you acknowledge original sin and once you acknowledge you have to do something about it, you're, you stop. You stop trying to pretend you're virtuous because everybody know, you know you're not and everybody knows you're not. All right. Uh, hey, Andrew, I'm from Australia, and our society tends to be quite anti-religion. What long-term impacts do you see this having as I feel we are remaining relatively connected to Christian values? Felix, well, it takes a long time. It takes at least a generation for the values that are propped up by a system of thought to collapse. And that's one of the problems. The problems with losing your religion 
if it's a true religion, is you lose the rationale behind your virtues. So when someone comes to you and says, oh, socialism is nice because then everyone will be equal, you don't know how to argue. You don't know how to argue why it's right for someone to be allowed to strive to be better and have more and earn more. You can't explain that to people, except you can explain it in a systematic, a materialist way. You can say, well, we'll have more money uh, that way. And that's not a very good argument. You really have to know what a human being is before you know what a human being is for, right? I think that's Aristotle who said that, actually. You have to know what something is. You have to know what something is, and you have to know what it's for. And when you, if you lose the, your religion, especially the Christian religion, and I would go so far as to say the Judeo-Christian religions, that if you lose that, you lose the Western vision of what a man is. And you don't know anymore why he should be free, even if the things that he says offend somebody. So when you go on into schools in America... And they say, well, you know, you can't say that because it offends me. And you say, my freedom is more important than whether you're offended. They don't know why, because they have lost their religion. So it, it really is important. I personally believe that we are on the verge of a revival at the intellectual level that will trickle down to the rest of us. Um, I really do believe this. When you look at the statistics, people who go to church tend to be smarter, tend to earn more, uh, tend to be, you know, it's the people who are, it's the smarter people now. It used to be the idea was that if you were smart, you didn't go to church. And if you were went to church, you were some kind of dumb hick who hated everybody and was just ju being judgmental. <clears throat> That's not what the stats show. The stats show that smarter people are going to church. The philosophy of relativism that has dominated intellectual life makes no sense. And that takes a generation to figure out, too. And once they break through the blacklists in academia, they are going to, people are going to say, you know what, some of this Christianity stuff makes sense. Maybe it's not going to look like uneducated Christianity. Maybe it'll look a little different or have different uh, rationales behind it. But I really do believe there's going to be a revival. I believe it's on the way. It's, it's happening already, but it's happening in the, the intellectual stratosphere, and it hasn't trickled down into the popular uh, world yet. But it will. I do believe that. From... Julio, dear Kingpin Clavin, that's closer. If God is the truth and found within us all, is merely the process of finding the truth unique to each of us, or is the truth different for all as well? Obviously, the truth is the truth. The truth is not different, but it is infinitely uh, different in each one of us. Each one of us finds the truth, and through ourselves, if, if one finds the truth, by saying it in your own way. I mean, look, you couldn't write a poem that somebody else could appreciate if the truth were different for each one. If I write a poem, the poem comes out of me and it's unique because of my style, my vision, whatever it is, but you can understand the poem because it speaks to the truth in you. The truth remains the same. It's kind of like Einstein said of the universe that it's finite but unbounded. The truth is like that too. The truth is finite, but it has no boundaries and it can manifest itself in a million different ways. It's actually a wonderful system for creating beauty. Uh, so I'm glad somebody thought of it. Um, all right. With this one has no name, how do you expect the gay marriage uh, controversy, or controversy, as they say in England, to be resolved in the coming years, if at all? I, I think it will be resolved. I think, look, I think we're going to head into a more libertarian world sexually for the simple reason that technology is going to change everything. I mean, right now, for instance, a transgender person who says, I, I identify, I'm a boy, but I identify as a girl, is just expressing some kind of illness, some kind of misperception. But there may come a time when he can have an operation that really does transform him into a girl. He can almost do it now. All these things, people, look, 
it's, it's an unhappy life to live in judgment of other people's private lives. It's just an unhappy thing to do. If, if there is difficulty in being gay, moral difficulty in being gay, you have to trust that gay people will find it. If there's moral difficulty in being gen- transgender, you have to trust them to find it. It's not your job to break into their home and find out what they're doing. Nobody wants to do it. No free man wants to trouble another person's house. And so I think what will happen is that this it'll even out. You know, I think that what is terrible, what is terrible now is gay activists using uh, gay marriage as a way of running people out of business, as ter- terrorizing small businesses that don't want to participate. The argument, the argument for gay marriage, right, is to be inclusive, is the wor- make the world more inclusive and more loving. But if, in fact, you then go and run a florist out of business because she has religious objections to catering your gay marriage, that's not actually being more inclusive and loving. That is just tra- transforming one person's abuse of power into your abuse of power. And that's not a very good argument. And that free people tend not to like that argument. And they they know it when they see it. So when gay activists are shut down and when people stop being politically correct and have the courage to just say, look, that's fascism, that is wrong, then, uh, you know, are you going to sit around worrying about whether a gay person is living with another gay, you know, gay person in an adult, non-abusive relationship? There, there may be legal problems uh, ahead, but I just think ultimately this thing just kind of equals out and goes away. Um, I got to stop. I'm, a, I'm way over the line here. But uh, stuff I like. We've been talking about um, Bill Paxton, who died, unfortunately, and all, you know, is in all these really famous big movies. This is a movie that has been on stuff I like before, and that's how much I like it. Uh, he directed this as well as starred in it. Matthew McConaughey is in it before he became a star. It is a film called Frailty. It came out in 2001. Writers love this movie. You know, when you talk to writers and they you ask them to name an obscure movie that they love, this is one of them, Frailty, because it is so brilliantly conceived and written and plotted. It's about an ordinary guy, I guess he's a farmer, who one day comes in and announces to his two sons that he has had a vision of an angel of the Lord. And this is Bill Paxton who plays this guy, coming in to inform his sons what God told him. The end of the world is coming. It's near. The angel showed me. There are demons among us. The devil has released them for the final battle. It's being fought right now. But nobody knows it except us and others like us. I'm scared, Dad. There's nothing to be afraid of, Tiger. We've been chosen by God. He will protect us. He's given us special jobs to do. We don't fear these demons. We destroy them. We, we pick them up one by one and we pitch them out of this world. That's God's purpose for us. The angel called us God's hands. So we're like superheroes? That's right. We're a family of superheroes that are going to help save the world. My dad, that doesn't make any sense. I know it sounds that way, son, but it's the truth. It's, it's such a brilliant setup because the guy's a great dad. He's a great dad. And he comes in, he has these two kids, and he announces this, and one of them buys into it totally. And one of them just says, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And it's about these two kids as they grow up and the, and the way this mission, holy mission, works its way, itself out. It's terrific. It is terrific stuff. And if you've never seen it, it really is worth it. Frailty. Bill Paxson, really sorry to see the guy die. He's a terrific. I mean, you can see every clip we've played this week, he's a different person. 
uh, which is what great actors do. They remain themselves, but he also, but they also change with the character. Uh, terrific movie, Frailty. So what do we have? Frailty, The Last Supper, and One False Move. Uh, three very little-known Bill Paxton pictures really worth seeing. All right, really interesting day, uh, but t- tomorrow will be another, and we will be back. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Thanks for being here. Come back tomorrow.